Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language. But the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Tonight, I'm talking about the laying on of hands. Somebody shout hallelujah. And I tell people that the laying on of hands is not a new thing. It has existed even before many people get to understand its implication. It existed in the Old Testament stories and dispensation. It is carried on into the New Testament dispensation. But in the olden cultures, in the olden cultures, laying on of hands was really an act of extending blessing, conferring blessing, speaking blessing, putting a blessing on somebody. In Genesis 48, a scripture is given us when Jacob is old and his eyes are dim. And then his son Joseph comes to him with his two children, Ephraim and Manasseh. And the Bible says, now the eyes of Israel were dim of age and he could not see. And he brought them near unto him and he kissed them and he embraced them. And the next verse says, and Israel said unto Joseph, thou hast not thought to see thy face. Lord God has showed me also thy face. Now the scriptures let the tell us. And then he gets Ephraim and Manasseh and then he crosses his hands and then prays. Hallelujah. The Bible says, And Joseph took both of them and Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them unto him. The elder was on the right, the younger was on the left. And what happened? The old man crossed his hands. And in crossing his hands, the son says, Father, it is not so that you should put your right hand on the one. On the younger one, your right hand should be on the one. On the older one. And the man said, my son, I know. I know. So much as the eye was dim, the spiritual eye was what? Was awake. And so, because of that, we know that old men used to speak blessings on people by laying on of hands. That's number one function of the laying on of hands. Second function of the laying on of hands in scripture was the healing of the sick and deliverance from demonic oppression and that we see so much in the days of Jesus Christ he used to lay hands on the what? on the sick in Luke chapter 4 and verses 40 the Bible says now when the sun was setting all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him and he laid his hands on every one of them and what? and healed them he did what? He laid his hands on them and did what? And healed them. Jesus used to lay hands on the sick. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 8 and verses 14, And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of fever. And then he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and ministered unto them. Why did Jesus used to lay hands? People are not healed because we lay hands on them. People are healed because we have the understanding in the laying on of the hands. Are you following me? 
And what is the understanding in the laying on of the hands? That when you stretch your hands on a man, you are extending life. Somebody shout hallelujah. Why? Because Jesus is in you. Jesus is what? He's in you. And because Jesus is in you, the life of God that raised him from the dead is inside you. It means every time you stretch your hand on a sick person, you are releasing the life which is on you. Remember, he says we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of power might be of God. What is this treasure? The person of the indwelling spirit. Somebody shout amen. And because you have the indwelling spirit, when you stretch your hands on the sick, they will heal. Why are they healing? Because you are releasing life. So the act of faith to stretch the hand is the act of faith that releases life. Somebody shout hallelujah. And because people saw Jesus healing the sick by the stretching on of his hands onto the sick, we start to see experiences in scripture where people ask Jesus to do the same. When Jairus' daughter was sick in Mark chapter 5 and 22, he says, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogues, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. And the Bible says, I pray thee, Jairus is asking, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. And what did Jesus do? He went and laid hands on Jairus' daughter and Jairus' daughter was healed because it was an extension of healing power. But I want you to also know that because Jairus' daughter received healing through the laying on of hands in scripture, it's not the only way of healing the sick. There are events in scripture where men were healed even without Jesus touching them. There were events where men just touched the hem of his garment and they were healed. He didn't stretch their hand, but their faith reached out to his hem of garment and they were made whole. There are many instances in scripture where people were healed everywhere Jesus went. And yes, it was one of them, but not the only. But God has told us that it's a tool of healing the sick and casting out devils. In fact, in Luke, he says he laid hands on every one of them which were sick. So we believe in the laying on of hands for the sick and them which are demon-possessed and palsied. When Jesus leaves the earth, we enter what they call the New Testament. Many people think that the New Testament begins from the Gospels. The New Testament does not begin from the Gospels. Because Paul tells us that for a New Testament to come, there has to be the passing away of the old. And the old cannot pass away except there is a death of the testator. Okay? So there must be necessity of the death of the testator. If the testator is not dead, you cannot pronounce a New Testament. That means the New Testament begins at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many people read the Gospels and say, this is the New Testament. In fact, many writers have put the New Testament, and then they begin with the Gospels. But that is a wrong interpretation of the things of God. The Gospel of the New Testament begins at the resurrection of the testator, Jesus Christ. If there is no death, we don't have a New Testament. You follow? Now, in Mark chapter um, 16, verse 17, he said... These signs shall follow them that believe. He said, in my name, they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. And every time I read that, I wonder why people say that we don't believe in the speaking of tongues. How can you not believe in the speaking 
of tongues when he says these signs shall follow them that believe. Hello? And he says they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover, because he has promised it. And Jesus did it, and men required of him to do it, and he did it. Somebody shout, Amen. So when we get in the New Testament, the apostles are faithful to the cause and they start doing things with their own hands. And we see a time in the book of Acts 19 verses 11 when the Bible says, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, the Bible says, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and diseases departed from them and evil spirits went out on them on whom they put. Okay? In other words, Paul would get a hanky, put his hand on it, speak to it, and then they take it to the sick. And when the sick receive it, they're what? They're healed. So even in the New Testament, we see people healing, casting out devils by the working of the extension of the hands. Although I tell people, when you become a spiritual person, you realize the stretching of your hand is not necessarily the physical stretching of the physical hand. You are a spirit being. If you extend a physical hand without the spiritual implication, your spiritual hand is not stretched. And if your spiritual hand is not stretched, then you don't have faith wherewith. Our physical hands are stretched to represent our spiritual stretching of the hand. Somebody shout hallelujah. And now... We see that even the healing of the sick continues in the New Testament. I still lay hands on the sick when I'm led by the Spirit of God to lay hands on the sick. But it's not fundamentally to say that if I've not laid a hand on a person, they will not heal. You've been in stadiums and meetings of tens of thousands where I've spoken out names and tumors have disappeared. Yes, spiritually my hand is stretched by faith, but my physical hand has not touched them. Okay? Now... Number three, we have also seen functions of laying on of hands by the impartation of spiritual gifts. Okay? The first one was blessing, conferring blessing. Second was the healing of the sick and casting out of devils. But three also, we have an impartation of spiritual gifts. The Bible says in Acts 19 verse 6, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Bible says the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So how did the Holy Spirit get upon them? By the laying on of hands. In other words, even in scripture, someone can receive the Holy Spirit when you lay your hand on them. Okay? Spiritual gifts can be given in the laying on of hands. You follow what I'm saying? You can find a man who wants a gift of speaking in tongues and you lay hands on them and they receive it. But that I mean that if I've not laid hands on you, you'll not receive it. But it is one way of extending life too. Okay? Gifts of faith. Gifts of healing. Not just the healing of the body, but the gift, the ability, the miraculous faculty in the man to also be able to heal. It can also be extended through the laying on of hands. That's what they call divine impartations. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so that too is also what? Is allowed and it is done and should be done. Okay? And now, in hearing of all of that, Paul says in Timothy uh, chapter 5, verses 22, he says, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be a partaker of other men's sins. But then you have told us it's okay to lay hands on what? On the sick. It's important to release spiritual gifts. Okay? 
Now I want to introduce another function of laying on of hands. It's called appointing men to offices and assignments. Appointing men to offices and assignments. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, if we read in the book of Acts chapter 6 verses 1, the Bible gives us a story. He says, in those days when the number of disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called a multitude of these disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, that you may appoint them over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, which was a proselyte of Antioch, and the Bible says, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Okay? So they laid their hands on them to commission them in the assignment or the office with which they have been called. In Acts 13 verses 1, now they were in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Siren and Manaen which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and so and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And the Bible says, and when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. The Holy Spirit has called Saul and Barnabas. In fact, in Acts 13, it represents the first missionary journey of Paul. And many people don't see even the time of that man's preparation. Do you know it took Paul 13 years to begin his first missionary journey? It didn't mean that he wasn't ministering, but he was not yet assigned spiritually. His assignment begins in Acts 13, when he's released by the apostolics. But the Bible says... They laid their hands on them. So there is another function which is the fourth. And that is for the appointments in two offices and assignments. So do you remember the four? The first one was on conferring blessing. The second is on healing the sick and casting out devils. The third is huh? impartation of spiritual gifts. And the fourth is appointment to offices and and assignments. Now, when Paul tells Timothy in the KJV, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins, keep thyself pure, that scripture does not apply on the first three. There is not a point where God will refuse you to lay hands on a sick man because he told us to heal the sick. There is not a point where God will refuse you to release a spiritual gift on a man which is hungry because all that are hungry are fed. There is not a point where God will refuse you to confide a blessing on an individual because it is doing in the blessing. But what it speaks of in Timothy 5.22 as written in the New Living Translation the New Living Translation explains what he meant. And I want us all of us to read it. What does it say? It says, never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader do not share in the sins of others. He says, keep yourselves pure. Did you hear that? 
when he tells you do not be quick to lay hands, do not make haste on laying on of hands, that kind of laying on of hands is talking about people into the leadership of the church of Jesus Christ. That is the only place in scripture where God tells us do not make haste, do not go quickly in appointing leaders. He says because if you do that, you will corrupt your spirit. He says, do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. That means this is one of the purities of spirit that you appoint only those God who by order, design, principle, and pattern has taught and determined to be appointed. If you lose that order, you frustrate your spirit as a minister of the gospel. The impure of spirit to appoint men that are unfit. That is negligence in the spirit. And some people are so negligent that they appoint people which are not ready, unskilled, inexperienced, who are not learned, who are not prepared for the work of the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the cause of the stupidity of the Balokori and the born again Christians. You know, many people have a way of saying, oh, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, this, and you know, the gospel is foolishness to them which are perishing. And you know, if we appear to be foolish, it is because those people who are saying we're foolish are going to hell. But ladies and gentlemen, there is a foolishness in the body of Christ that is not even according to the gospel. Even people outside look at us and they're like, but don't these people see? Because some things are obvious. Somebody shout amen. Some things are what? are obvious well there is a foolishness that comes in having the gospel when some people think that they're so learned you know they carry so much wisdom in the world that they don't see the need for a savior yeah 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 that one is there it is foolishness to them that perish but unto us it is the saving power of god but there is also a foolishness okay the amplified calls it stupidity i'll share about that later that has crept in awares into the body of christ and now people look at us and we also look stupid to them because some things look obvious and even though they're obvious to the gospel to god should be obvious to every believer they are not obvious to us and the world can see that these things are supposed to be obvious don't think that the people who don't go to church don't know god you know there is this whole definition of people who say yeah i know god because you go to church no well going to church is one of it the bible says do not give up the fellowship okay as some have done Everybody should have a place where you go to feed your spirit, like you feed your body. He says, we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the man of some, but we exhort one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we don't forsake the assembling. We believe in the coming together. God has told you, don't forsake congregating to pray. But it's not enough to say that because a man congregates, therefore they know God. Somebody shout, Amen. Now, in my life of ministry... I was born again from a very humble background. Very humble background. It was a dusty street somewhere in Kawempe. On a crusade ground, I went in a local church. My understanding of local church is local, 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 where we drum. You understand? We used to drum. You understand? And then I transitioned into an English-speaking church. Not church. It was an English-speaking church with an aura. Okay? And then there everything was English. 
everything, the service was English, the praise was English, the giving was English, everything was English. Now that gave me too much innocence. Yeah? And so because of that innocence, when I met somebody and they said they are born again, they were really what? There was no other way. When somebody told me, I'm born again. Oh, there's a warmth that even used to come into my heart and say, oh my God, I'm not a Christian. You understand? I want to hug them, take them for ice cream. Because they're what? They're born again. There was that excitement. And then I was in that church for about 12 years. And then sort of the Lord started to prepare me as a man, as a minister. And then, you know, the wilderness experiences came through where God started to kill me. And God started to teach me. He started to talk to me. And one of the most humbling experiences were days when I was asleep at night and God would open a scripture I'd never read, teach me for one and a half hours. I wake up and the scripture is so, it was so much. I just used to find myself weeping because it was too much. It was too overwhelming for me. And so he started to speak to me. The prophetic came, the healing came. And then the gift started attracting ministries to call me, you know, to their churches to minister. And then I was introduced into certain ministries and met certain men of God which were preachers with certain positions and then I was open to another world of church that I pray many of you never see because some of you if you see it you might fall you know there are people who are standing because of other people and it's also sad some of your faith is clinged on certain people eh? If that man can do this, ah, then salve- you, you understand it? Eh? So you kill your faith based on one person's what? Weakness. I'm not saying that we're all perfect people. No, we're all a work in progress. But even in the place of working in progress, you can have a weakness of the flesh, a weakness of thought, a weakness of actions and many things. But there's one thing that must be pure in every life of a believer and that's the conscience. The place in you that hears God and can still tell the difference between right and wrong. Because many consciences are sold and dead in this dispensation that even what is wrong is now right to certain people. Who understands what I'm saying? So I was introduced to another part of church that I quite never thought existed. In fact, the first time it came to me, in an experience of relating with certain individuals... I thought, Mm-mm, this is just one church of the many good churches. But this one has a problem. Mama, mama, mama. And then I started to see how the network was weaving. And then I started to see these networks weave in two generations. And I started to see these generations weave in two institutions. Frames of man-made small things and big things built together. Conocopias of many things that it started to become a very mixed thing. That's when I deliberated to now start studying what are my roots. Because when I say, I'm born again, I'm born again, but under what did you receive Christ? What was the mind and foundation of the place that led you to Christ? Why are you the way you are? You understand what I'm saying? What was that thing that introduced Christ to you? Did it give you the Christ of the Bible or the other Christ? Because Paul says that if you receive another Christ, another spirit and a gospel that we never preached, he said that you bear them yourselves. In other words, it's possible to preach a Christ that is not scriptural, to give a gospel that is not so, and release another spirit. Read it. It's in 2 Corinthians 11.4. He says, For he that cometh preacheth another Jesus. 
Okay? Whom we have not preached. Or if ye receive another spirit. Okay? Which ye have not received. Or another gospel. Which ye have not accepted. Ye might well bear with them. Ladies and gentlemen. There are people who have received another Jesus. They are serving from another Jesus. They are ministering from another spirit. One time I was in a meeting and the Lord told me that there are people here who received false tongues. I was in a meeting and I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, everybody that received the fake tongue, I rebuke that spirit. People fell down and some started rolling on the floor. Some vomited. I saw people rolling on the floor with snakes. But they were speaking tongues. You understand what I'm saying? So what kind of tongue would sit on an individual and when you rebuke it, they roll on the floor like a snake. Nakawunde, which they called me, which had run mad. You know what happened? A man gets this woman, he's dipping her into water baptism. He says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Puts her in water. When Nakawunde comes out of water, she ran mad. Isn't it? Three years, they could not set her free. They had to call me, we laid hands on that woman and she came back to sanity. But somebody dipped her into another spirit. Because you can't dip someone in Christ and they come out mad. Do you understand what I'm saying? But now we are trying to understand who is Jesus. That's why I'm teaching these doctrines. So if anybody preaches anything contrary to this, your red light comes on and you're like, "Mm -mm, but this is not the Christ I know. Because today we have many forms of godliness. The Bible says, but we deny the very power thereof. The Bible says having a form of godliness. People look godly. People walk godly. People appear godly. You understand? There's just something so godly about them. But the Bible says many of them are twice dead from the root. They are dead from the root. They are dead from the root. You find a man and he says, I'm a bishop. And he doesn't carry a conviction of truth. But he's a bishop. Can you say, who ordained him? Who laid hands on him again? You understand what I'm saying? And some don't even put on these things because they have been approved. Some put it on because they are insecure. And this is the only thing that secures them. I mean, I've been at embassies. You go to one embassy, many men of God, when they go to the embassy, they go with their caller. Because for them it what? <laughs> it speaks. Some put it on for security. Because it's the only way they can be taken serious. Praise God. We want to get to a time where Jesus is defined on what is coming out of you. Hallelujah. That you can put on a simple dress and prophesy in the life of a pastor. And they say that is a woman of God. Not because she's dressed in a tent. But because God resides in the inside of her. Somebody shout amen. Again, don't get me wrong. I'm not against Sakat Gab. I'm not against it. But I have a problem if whoever wears it does not have the substance of what it represents. Somebody shout hallelujah. And this is the warning Jesus gives us. So, when I enter the church... And I'm starting to see these dark things. I almost as though felt, at first I had even made up the mind to polarize. Do what you know. Be very slow in relating with other ministries. Not because you don't want to, but because some of us saw a lot. 
We saw a lot. A man calls you and says, come and preach in my lunch hour. You go. He welcomes you well. He takes you in a room in the back and tells you, now, you must find a way, listen, to get 8 million in this lunch hour from people. You must find a way. Lubega Grace, I was not raised that way. Now, when you tell me you must find a way, do you know what that means? Whether you prophesy, whether you manipulate, whether you arrange nice words, put them in nice prose and poetry, give it a grammatic thing and cry, whatever you do, you must collect. A man once told me that. Now I'm about to go in the pulpit. Everything flew out of my head. Everything I'd prepared, my sp- it flew. My brain now stayed on 8 million. Lubega Grace. 8 million. 8 million. So I prayed to God. And I said, God, what should I do? And God told me, you've already come. You have to preach. But the man wants. The Spirit of the Lord told me, sign him a check of that amount and preach. I asked, you need 8 million? He said, yes. I got my pen and checkbook. I signed him. Eight million. And I said, isn't your need met? Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. La, la, la. I preached in that service. And the Spirit of the Lord told me, never step on his altar again. Why? Because the house of God has become a den of thieves. You remember when Jesus walks into the temple? And then he finds some exchanging money and some selling animals, transacting. That is how the house of God had become. And when I was in those circles, I realized they even knew names of people who know how to get money. They knew names. They would say, ah, if you want money eh, to build, call pastor so-and-so. Now, even those guys, they knew that they were that kind of person. So they come in with their price as well. Are you hearing me? Because they know how to get the money. You understand what I'm saying? I saw things. I saw networks of pastors who come together and they say, now we are eight. eh? So what you do, we want to start now rotating each other. You go here, you go here, such that when you come here, then you come here, the networks. Then after, then somehow you'll open for me a door in the U.S. And then, you understand? Eh? And then there was also a network of group of guys who never used to come to minister as the Spirit had led. But they were the able ministers of that time because they knew what the minister wanted. And it was beyond the feeding of souls. It was very transactional. The whole system began to become so rotten. That when you found two men of God, you even get into the zone where you know people who know the obvious stint. You know what point the message will be. You know what the message will be. He will preach. Eh? But by the time we get to the end, it will become financial. Wherever it begins from, whether it begins from Jairus' daughter or it begins from Lazarus' tomb, it can begin from anywhere. But the end of that thing will take you to Mammon. You understand what I'm saying? And then before you know that we began from Lazarus, we are walking in Lazarus, we are talking about Lazarus and God raising him from the dead. And before you know that, the man pulls a 
Satan, it's craftiness. He pulls at his Satan line. Are you hearing me? And he says, Lazarus was buried. Seeds are buried. I said, seeds are buried. Tell your neighbor, seeds are buried. And then some people stand up. The guys who are in the game come and shout all up at you. They clap each other and say, Rabbi, yeah. seeds are buried. Mandaka. What a revelation. Seeds are buried. Seeds are buried. So you're going to bury your seed. And God is here. He's going to resurrect it. I said, God is going to resurrect your seed. I said, God is going to resurrect your seed. Tell your neighbor, God is going to resurrect your seed. And women come running. People of one million, come. If you have a million shillings, Katidea, the grace of God has disqualified the poor woman. The God is going to do something. He sterilizes it and spiritualizes it. God is going to do something. If you have a million shillings, I want 30 people with a thousand dollars. Come. Shut up. You, I'm going to put my hands on you personally. In light hands. And the calling of the 50 and the 20 was there for the man of God to calculate the amount. Says that when you report the giving, you don't cheat also. Because the treasurers also were very smart. So when you say, I want 40 people with 40 million and 39 come. He counts one, two, by when the laying on of hands is counting. One. In his heart. <laughs> God bless you. You understand? In his counting, 28, 29. In his heart, 30, 31. Now, he knows that by the time the baskets come over, the giving should be plus minus 36 million. Now, let us find 28. Because even treasurers were smart, they had the Judas thing. You understand what I'm saying? And when a ministry loses the picture of money in accountability, it starts to lose many things. So the rich come. Hmm? The rich come. And then how do you keep the rich? Because this person is rich, they've started coming to you. What do you do? Make sure you give them a post. Because if you don't give them post, they'll run away. Uh-huh. That's how they used to advise. They'll tell you, Kakati, if you want to keep such rich people, give them posts. Okay? Then a rich person comes tomorrow, they are nailed. They even sit in the corner like this in the judgment seat, looking at everyone to make sure everyone is chewing right, eating right. You understand it? Uh, treasure. What? So, they are anointed in the ministry. You understand? He became so bad that a man can hear that there is a great meeting taking place on Thursday. And then he puts his own Thursday meeting to make sure that these ones who could go there stay. So the meeting is not spirit-led to be started on Thursday. But you're putting on a Thursday meeting because you fear if you don't put a Thursday service, they'll go to Fanero. Men put lunch hours, not because the spirit had led men to pray, but the lunch hours were put because the buildings were expensive. They spoke these things in silence. And a man tells you, Musumba, if we don't put lunch hours, we can't pay rent. 
So every day, Sharababa, there shall be a lunch hour where people will come and meet God on the altar. So people go to lunch hours. But what is the end of lunch hours? That maybe every lunch hour, if you can collect the 500,000, like 1 million, yeah, it will come through and then help you meet your weekly expenses. So are people coming because they are coming to bless souls? No. Now, even the people invited in lunch hours, all of them are invited because you need to start changing faces so people can enjoy the services. Different faces, different men. Everyone comes, you know, Kasavu Kanyama, you mix here, you mix there. Why? Because it's the only way you can keep the lunch hour what? alive. Because you can't preach Sunday and preach lunch hour and then preach evening service every day. You get tired. Now you need men to come in. They're not coming in to help because they're coming to add on their work. They're coming in to help because it's the only way to balance your transaction. And there are sub-churches which have lunch hour, evening service, counseling Tuesday, counseling Wednesday, special service, miracle service, Sunday, special Sunday service, Sunday, special midweek service, special service, deliverance service, Sunday. And they are advertised like products. Come, you will see power, authority. <laughs> Some have gotten to a point where they don't even know that people have to work. And we're starting to look crazy. If people are praying every time, when will they work? Martin Luther said, I believe Jesus can come back anytime, he said. But tomorrow morning I will plant my apple tree. What does it mean? It means that maybe Christ might delay a bit and I need an apple. (laughs) Now you have praying Christians who don't work. They don't even know how to work. All of them think they are going to dwell in the presence of God. Shalaba. Rikatalapa. And then some money is going to come from heaven falling like rain. <laughs> wait. <laughs> you wait for money to come, sister. Continue interceding for money to come. Somebody shout hallelujah. And I'm saying that that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. We are preaching something else. It looks like the gospel, but it's not what? It's not the gospel. It's something else. It's something else. Now, disappointments. Why did you appoint this person to be an associate pastor? Why did you appoint this woman to be an elder? Why did you appoint that person to be an administrator? Why did you appoint that person to be this and that? Did you do it because you went through the pattern and principle of doing something? Or, you did it because it is the only way you can consolidate. Do you know how many men and women have been put in positions and authorities they were not called and ordained for? And many of them have gone on these altars and assignments smiling and they've come back limping and they have been hit so bad 
Some of them are not even in church. And you ask, but why did this person stop praying? One day they appointed them in an office bigger than them. And because of pride, they were hit so badly that when they come back, many of them don't even stay in church anymore. They lose interest in the whole system. Satan throws them off balance. And when they come back in church, they don't even know how to reconstruct. That is the laying on of hands we are talking about. That is the laying on of hands we are talking about. That is the laying on of hands we are talking about. Not the other one of a demon will enter past. When you put on a hand, a demon will enter. You know, also people used to fear to lay hands on people because if you lay a hand on a person, demons will enter. Demons will hit you. How do you know if somebody is a thief and then you put your hand on them, the spirit of thieving will hit you. You understand? Then you find yourself a thief. Why? Because you laid the hands on a thief. You have the life of God in you. You are a giver of life. I tell you one overnight, I remember one man scared us so many times. And I remember one time I sat in a corner. They were rebuking demons out of a girl and I put on the armor. I put it on. I confess. You understand? I put on the whole armor of God. The helmet of salvation. The breastplate of righteousness. The shield of grace. The sword of the spirit. The shoes in the readiness of preaching the gospel. Then you stand like this. Are you hearing? In the spirit realm, you think, okay, I'm guarded. If a demon comes, to just and then fall off. <laughs> and I told people that many people, when they're talking about armor, in their mind, they have the armor of a Roman soldier. Not the armor of God. Are you hearing me? Let me demonstrate something for you. Both of you come. Now, if you're dealing with the armor of men, okay? Because when you say, put on the armor, even some teachings, when they say, Put on the armor. Hmm? They show a Roman armor. Man-made armor. You understand? Now in the armor of God, of course, there is a shield of what? Faith. This is what? A shield of what? Of faith. So, he says it will quench the darting arrows. Okay? So, if this is faith, okay, and it's supposed to shield this man, I'm attacking, right? What does he do? He guards, okay? He guards, okay? He guards, okay? This is the shield. This is a Roman shield. It's put on one arm, and you can't guard with two arms. You guard with what? With one arm. Okay? Now, turn the other side. Now, I want him to do the same thing. He's under attack, right? This is a Roman what? Uh-huh. Now, you see what they're doing? The Roman shield, the Roman shield can only do that. Okay? Now, he's under attack. Okay? They're sending. I come behind him, and I do this. Can he guard himself? Why can't he guard himself? Because he's using a Roman shield. The shield of faith is not one dimensional. You understand what I'm saying? Otherwise, the arrow will still come and what? And prick you. The shield of faith. The Bible says, taking. Because it exists in the spirit of faith. It is not something you build. It is something faith has built. When you say, I take the shield of faith. That thing covers you head to toe in front and behind. Everywhere you're like in a bubble under the sheer protection of the Almighty God, the shield of faith. So it is with a sword. This one he says is double edged, and the edges each represent something spiritual. Say it with a helmet, the belt of truth, and all these other things, okay? But when we are talking about the issue of the office, this is where Paul says, Don't be quick to lay hands. And then he gives us the scriptural foundation. For laying on of hands. First Timothy chapter 3 verses 1. 
He says, the saying is true and irrefutable that if any man eagerly seeks the office of the bishop, superintendent, overseer, he desires an excellent work. He says, a bishop, one, must be blameless. All the Amplified Bible says, give no grounds for accusation, but must be above reproach. He must be the husband of one wife. In some churches, we have elders who have four wives. We have elders with four wives who bought cement for the church. And because they bought cement for the church, even though they have what? Four wives. They bought cement. So they are what? They are elders. But he has four wives. Don't judge. He's to be judged. You understand? Circumspect and temperate and self-controlled. He must be sensible and well-behaved and dignified and lead an orderly, disciplined life. He must be hospitable, showing love for and being a friend to believers, especially people who are rich in the ministry. Especially being a friend to strangers and foreigners. He must be a capable and qualified teacher. Today you find bishops who can't teach. Pastors who can't teach. But they are also pastors. That is madness. Not given to wine. Not combative but gentle. And considerate not quarrelsome. If you find a quarreling man. A bishop or a big man. You can be amazed. They abuse I was counseling someone recently, their pastor abused them a word. Now they come and say, Apostle, how can a man abuse me those words? But the Bible says, but forbearing and peaceable, not a lover of money. That is insatiable wealth and ready to obtain it by questionable means. God is not saying that a man of God shouldn't be rich. But he's saying if you are rich, then your wealth should be explainable. He must rule his own word. Household. Keeping his children under what? Control. With two what? Dignity. Commanding their respect in everyone. Keeping them respectful. If your children fail, you can't leave the church. Next verse. For if a man does not know how to rule his own household, how shall he take care of the church of God? How? Paul is asking how? Because church is more difficult. You understand? So if you can't manage your own four children and wife, how can you extend that authority over tens of thousands? Who all come with their own mind? Mark you, everyone here. Everyone here comes from their own understanding of family. Now everything is facing Apostle Grace to cancel you. Era, you should love us. Now we have preached. One time someone called me. And I failed to answer that call. On the fifth call, they called and I answered. They said, Gwe, why haven't you answered my call? Hey, at first I thought about it was my auntie from the village. Then I'm about, who is this again? When the person mentions name, I've never known them. Then they started lecturing me. You know, I need to teach some of you. They lectured me. After lecturing me, then they gave me a prayer request. You're joking. You're joking. They lectured me. How I have to learn to answer calls. A call shouldn't call for more than two times. Kubanga, some people think they are the only people that you attend to. 
Tusonyiwe. Tusonyiwe banadi. If I didn't answer your call, I'm sorry. Now, the Bible says, underline this one, no appointed person should be a new convert. How can somebody be born again for three months and tomorrow they are an elder? Or he may develop a beclouded, ah, that's the word, it's not mine, read it, and what? And stupid state of mind. Stupid sense of mind. Amplified Bible. They might develop a stupid sense of mind. And as a result of pride, they be blinded by conceit and fall into the condemnation of that devil. The devil once did. Now, that's why I tell people, if you find a proud man who is a minister, he's a babe. It doesn't matter how many miracles he does. If he's boastful, just know there's something wrong with him. Because that's the first thing God kills. He kills pride. And the Bible says, pride goes before a fall. Something will roll you. Eh? Even if it takes 20 years eh? in your stupidness, it can still roll you one day and find you in the place where you must go down. Praise God. Let's go back. And he says, and furthermore, he must have a good reputation and well thought of by those outside the church, lest he become involved in slander and in reproach and fall into the devil's trap. In like manner, he says the deacons, those ones who are lower, helpers in the ministry. Now he's talking about even the ushers, the welfare, security, everybody here is in the class of deacons, right? He says, must be worthy of respect, not shifty and double talkers, but sincere in what they say, not given to much wine, nor greedy for base gain, craving wealth and resorting to ignoble and dishonest methods of getting it. Message of verse 8. He says, the same goes for those who want to be servants in the church. Serious, not deceitful, not too free with the bottle, and not in it for what they can get out of it. Primary principle, you don't come in the church because of what you can get out of it. Atawo, atawo. Do you know how many people are serving for what they can get? Okay, who they can get out of Are you hearing me? The day he gets married, she will not serve. Because she was serving who? <laughs> Praise God. Let's get to the next verse. They must possess the mystic secret of the faith. They must possess the mystic secret of the faith. Christian truth has hidden from ungodly men with a clear conscience. How many men are in service and understand the mystic secret of the faith? Not many people understand that statement. Some of them, I think, they think it's a language issue. It's deeper than that. How can you be a minister, a servant in the church, even if you are an usher, even if you're in the security, even if you're helping people pack? You must possess the mystic secret of the faith. With a clear conscience. The place that he has gone. And the next verse says. Verse 10. And let them also be what? Tried and investigated and proved first. You don't appoint a man who is not tried. Who is not investigated. And who is not proved. 
if they turn out to be above reproach, then let them serve as deacons. That's what even goes to those of you who bring people under you. I want to usher. I want to join the choir. I want to join security guard. Tell them, yes, thank you very much. We welcome your commitment to serve this ministry. Thank you very much for considering that. But allow us to pray about you. If somebody says that because I was refused to serve, I'm going to go to another church where I must serve, then they didn't belong here. And most certainly where they are going, they might not even serve to the fullest as they have to, because there is a process that qualifies all men for that responsibility. Somebody shout hallelujah. If you are that person who says for me, if they don't give me to sing now, I'm going to take my gift somewhere. Run quickly. Get your voice and take it where it shall be appreciated. Because here, we celebrate and we appreciate faithfulness above gifts. That's the truth. We will pray about you. And when the Lord speaks, we will. And of course, even for you leaders, I caution you. If somebody says, I'm here, and then you're allowed to pray for, about them, really pray about it. Because now you can tell somebody, yeah, I will get back to you, and then you, you take them one year, two years, and then you break them. You will know what to do. Okay, in a good way. Some people are ready to serve, and they're just not given opportunity. Some, honestly, are not ready. And we did those mistakes many years ago. I did those mistakes many years ago, before we even started Fanero. Now I learned, I'm not quick in appointing men. That is why, probably, if you've known me for 10 years, 12 years, 30 years, you will count how many men I have put this hand on and said you are a minister of God. You will count them. There are very few. I'll not tell you the number because you might run out of this room. But there are very few people I have put my own hand on and said that you are a minister in this ministry. That is why when you hear complaints of certain pastors who say, Oh, you know, for me, I used to have a good ministry. Then one girl came, one man came. Then they broke my ministry by half. You're the problem. How can a man break your ministry by half? Who called you? By the time you appointed a man who can break you, you are the problem. Because if you raised such a beast, what are you? You understand what I'm saying? I can't appoint a man who can break me. Because by the time a man has received my hand, they are not in the level of breaking. Yeah, people have come and left, but when they leave, they just leave with their wives. You can't break this ministry. How? Because it didn't begin by indifference. We know where we began from. We have foundations under which every man carries. Every minister in this church we prayed for, about, sought God for. We just don't call men pastors when they are not. I have been in ministries where people have been appointed and many people limped off the altar. One time there is a man who appointed a girl for a pastor. In two weeks the girl came to me and said, they have appointed me as a pastor. I said, well, you're not a pastor. But they said, I'm a pastor. They said, you're not. After three weeks, that girl ran mad. They had to call me to pray her to sanity. Because the man put her in an office, she doesn't belong. Some are appointed, then you hear they even fell off. Why? Because they appointed a novice. And when the things of this world came to hit them, they could not stand. Some have fallen off. They are not even in the gospel anymore. Why? Because they appointed them the wrong way. Why? We are appointing by our own self-personal interests and not the order of God. Let me tell you, if God appoints you himself through the right order, you will stand. 
and you will grow because he that began that good work in you he will see to accomplishment to the day of Christ he is the author and the finisher of your faith walk yourself through the pattern I have a problem with people who appreciate the product without respecting the process undergo the process that prepares you be discipled, be taught, be prepared when you get on that line to serve God you will serve effectively in verses 11 it even goes to the women we marry and it says even so must their wives be grave not slanders sober faithful in all things that even when we are appointing people we consider your wife how is she because if your wife is not under control you're going to destroy the ministry with your wife or through your wife Abel Uganda appointments are serious somebody say amen. amen raise your voice and speak to God just speak to God come on speak to God just take a minute and speak to God make your own personal prayer and tell God prepare me help me, use me because all of us were called to serve him what would you do if you're not a servant of God what would you live for if you don't serve God Speak to God. And why it away drawing close close by grace and all my heart is yours. Come speak to him. Oh fear Breathe you in and in into your love. Oh, your love. Stand. Speak to God. Speak to God. Speak to God. Speak to God. Be removed.
When I'm lost, you pursue me with my head to see your glory. and I declare that the words that have entered us are planted in our spirits for eternal course and that like every man in this room is called with a calling, with a purpose with an intent for you to fulfill what you have placed in their lives may these words define the deepest foundation of this doctrine of the laying on of hands that may we receive the hands at the time when they must be laid and God may we serve you even as we ought And for those of us who are appointed the wrong way, God, we are not for title but for purpose. We would rather live without titles but be in the perfect will. So we can lose those titles for you to stay God. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're sick in your body right now in the name of Jesus, receive your healing. God heals you in Jesus' name. If you've been struggling with anything, the Lord is delivering you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. For whoso the Son sets free, he is free indeed. 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 In Jesus name. So if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to be born again and you say you know what I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You're going to repeat these words after me. Say Jesus today I've had you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm born again from today in Jesus name. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.